Hi, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jason. And we're Old Men Rolling Dice. And you're listening to Tale of the Manicore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 36 begins with Jace visiting his boss, Nudge Pickens. Nudge expresses his sorrow at the loss of Jace's erstwhile companions and his relief that at least Jace survived. He tells him that everything is safe and to go home, especially while the city is in lockdown and the Weeping Eye members have been fighting among themselves. However, Nudge uses a code that lets Jace know there's trouble afoot. When Jace leaves, we learn the reason for the subterfuge. Soro the Mad emerges from the next room where he's been eavesdropping. He now has everything he needs to make an attack on Jace's ironmonger shop with all of Jace's companions, including his family, inside. His leverage over Nudge Suro has his daughter hostage. This means Nudge's decision to tip Jace off, even in such a subtle way, must have been a heart-wrenching one. In the next scene, we witness the raid on the Ironmogger's shop. It's no surprise to us that the attackers find it empty, but what might be surprising is that it isn't Suro, nor even the Weeping Eye, who are making this raid. It's the City Watch, and they are led by their new captain, Krell. Perhaps it's best that Cole is not alive to see what has become of his brother and how low the man has sunk. When we catch up to the PCs, they're back at the Dunwich Cidery Company, begging refuge from a reluctant Hetty. A tall stack of coins greases those wheels, and Hetty allows them to stay for a single night. The next day, Yellowfly goes off alone to speak with Lord Rabbit. He comes back with a new mission. Chapter 37, Part 1, Day 114, Late Afternoon. Party status. There's no need to roll. The PCs are now fully healed after another full day of rest. Yellowfly, 26 of 26 hit points. Shawnee, 19 of 19. Jace, 26 of 26. Catsbane, 12 of 12. Spells available. Catsbane has memorized magic missile, read languages, mirror image, and invisibility. It was a long walk from the Dunwich Cidery Company to the Church of the Sacred Flame. They first needed to negotiate the Thury Gate, which was tightly controlled. Yellowfly did not know any of the guards who manned this post, but luckily, for the price of one silver coin each, they were permitted to pass. This nominal fee was enough to dissuade casual traffic and limit passage to people of means and good status. As the companions numbered four, and they had paid the same toll the day before on the way to Hedy's, the party was down eight silver bits in all. 
With the Thury Gate behind them, the quartet headed into the High Market District. This was not the shortest route to their destination. Yellowfly was taking them the long way around, mostly out of habit. Alleys and backroads were, from his point of view, worth the inconvenience. Exiting the High Market, they passed under the Great Arch with its grim warning. Four dangling corpses, hanging from their ankles, were on display for all to see. Their bodies twisted slowly in the wind, and their hair hung straight down. Facial features were hard to make out. The flesh had turned a kind of dark plum color, with whatever blood that hadn't drained from their slit throats settling in their heads. Jason already let Yellowfly know that one of the corpses belonged to his friend in the city watch. Fly had never liked the man, and would have objected to the term friend, but what did it matter? The upshot was simply that they would have a much more difficult time getting in and out of Silmoral from now on, should the need arise. He allowed himself one glance and a quick word of prayer to Vesaluna before pushing on into the southern part of the cobbles. They were headed for the Church of the Sacred Flame, not far from the city's main gates. Moving through the city right now is dangerous. Weeping Eye Guild members are armed and agitated. Many of them are making big moves, granted, not against the church. The city watch has doubled with frequent patrols and liberal use of violence, much of it random. At one point, such behavior might have been discouraged. Belloc kept his men strictly in line for the most part. Captain Krell, on the other hand, actively encourages this kind of thing. The more, the better. There are other elements at large too. I think a wandering encounter check is warranted. A one on a d6 means that some kind of encounter will take place. If that happens, I'll make a special table to determine what it is. Here's the roll. A three. They were making good time passing through the cobbles, headed south. Somewhere to their left, a few blocks away, was the still burned down remains of the warehouse from which Catsbane once carried a nearly dead Shawnee to safety. She wasn't looking in that direction, and, perhaps in an effort to avoid thinking about it, she engaged Chase in conversation. Are you worried about this man? Nudge, was it? Nudge Pickings, Chase replied. And no, not really. Nudge is a clever man. He can take care of himself. He didn't use Kant to say he was in any personal danger, so I suppose he'll be all right. The quartet entered an alley. They had to walk past an old man sitting in the gutter and leaning against one of the two warehouse walls that formed the alley. Sparse white hair sprouted haphazardly from the crown of his head and filthy clothes that were much too thin for the current weather barely covered his bony frame. When he looked up at them, they could see he had a terrible black eye and a bloody lip. The companions all shared the same thought. City guards must be nearby. You all right, friend? asked Yellowfly. He was already removing his cloak. Shone. Have we got a few coins to spare for this good man? Yellowfly draped the cloak, blanket-like, over the man's torso, and Shawnee put four gold pieces in his hand. This was an enormous sum of money to a man like this, but he seemed not to recognize what he had been given. He slurred at them drunkenly. It's the people what build these walls, and it's what people what fed you, people what build these walls, and I didn't see no kings of building no walls. Uh, go get yourself some food and some new clothes and a warm place to stay, said Yellowfly. I mean, don't show that money around now. Uh, don't spend it all on wine, either. They left him behind, babbling about building walls while clutching a handful of gold. Today, Yellowfly joins Shawnee at level 5. He'll get new hit points, potential stat increases, and, well, there is one other thing I want to talk about, but I'll get to that in a minute. 
Let's get a D8 and a D6 and start rolling. For new hit points, he'll get... Ah, I rolled a 2. That min's out at 4, with no constitution bonus. He goes from 26 to 30. Still very good, to be fair. Potential stat increases are next. Fly has been swinging his sword a lot lately. Has he gotten any stronger? A 6! Yes, he has. His 14 goes to a 15. Intelligence. A 1. Wisdom. Another 1. Dexterity. This would be a good time to roll a 6. Nope, I got a 4. Constitution. A 6! Sweet! 10 goes to 11. Charisma. Another 4. You know, I got a stat bonus in strength and constitution for my fighter. So even with the poor hit points roll, I really can't complain. A good level up, overall. Now, there is one more thing I want to discuss. I've decided to make another house rule. Purists might not like this, but I feel in my gut it's the right thing to do. I want to spread out the two hit bonuses, or proficiency bonuses if you prefer, that fighters receive over the course of their level advancements. This attack bonus is really the only thing fighters get in BX, so I want to fix what I feel is a poor rule. Here's the problem I'm grappling with. At level 3, fighters get no to hit bonus. Then, at level 4, fighters suddenly get a plus 2. Now, I never liked that sudden jump, and so going forward, I'm applying the plus 1 bonus at level 3. It gets worse at middle levels, though. From levels 4 to 6, that bonus remains at plus 2, and then at level 7, it abruptly jumps to a plus 5. Now, I find this is problematic on the way in and on the way out. It withholds rewards for too long, and then over-rewards. At least, that's my feeling. I'm going to change it to a straight line. Plus 1 at level 3, plus 2 at level 4, plus 3 at 5, plus 4 at 6, and so on. I'll be spreading the bonus out over the rest of the tables for level 7 and above, too. But there's no need for me to list every change right here and now. I'll post a revised table on the blog instead. To sum up, Yellowfly now has a plus 3 proficiency bonus. Jace will get a plus 1 since he's at level 3. This change in the rules will only be used for those of the fighter class, by the way. Other classes will keep the original rules as written tables for attack rolls. Wander Middle-Earth in the Lore of the Rings podcast, where we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien. In the Lore of the Rings podcast, we explore the inspiring tales and rich mythology of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings Legendarium, and connect it to the movies and the new Rings of Power series. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. You'll find a new, lore-packed episode every Thursday. Come wander and not be lost with the Lore of the Rings podcast. The Church of the Sacred Flame loomed ahead of them, a beautiful but imposing structure of dark stone set against the whiteness of falling snow. While not nearly as large as the Cathedral to Vesaluna, it had a certain quality. They could feel it right away, some kind of holy aura. Everyone beside Jace had been here before, Two of them had even lived here for a short time. As soon as they set foot upon the sacred grounds, they could sense that something had changed. The place felt lighter, somehow. Safer. Less oppressive. Catsbane and Shawnee exchanged looks as they made their way past the main building, following Yellowfly's lead. He took them to a small building which they knew to be the rectory. This was where all the higher-ranking priests, except for Sister Araness, lived. The high priestess had her own apartments in the temple proper. An acolyte met them at the front door when they knocked, and led them inside to a vestibule where they could hang their cloaks. Yellowfly didn't have one. He had just given his away. But even in the ten minutes he had been exposed to the cold, he felt chilled to the bone. 
He could only imagine what the old man must have suffered having been outside all day. No wonder he kept himself drunk. The quartet were escorted down a hallway with a flagstone floor and into a living room where a fire roared in the hearth. Brother Terrigrim was there, waiting for them. Thank you all for coming, he said. Can I offer you something to drink? Some mulled wine, perhaps? The companions gratefully accepted the offer, and the acolyte was sent to fetch a tray of cups. While they waited, Brother Terrigrim produced a candle and lit it from the fireplace. By the smell, they could tell it was made of real beeswax, not tallow, like they would have typically used. I hope you won't mind if I say a quick prayer over our meeting, he said. There were no objections, so the elderly priest continued, holding up the candle so its light shone on all present. Holy Sadal, watch over our conference, and let it be known if any here bears the church ill intent, or holds malice in their heart. The candle glowed brighter as the words were spoken, and then returned to its normal state. Satisfied, Brother Terragram blew it out and completed his prayer. Pray, Sadal. Brother Terragram has just cast the spell, Detect Evil, on the PCs. Once the spell has been cast, and he is satisfied that nobody in the room intends any mischief, he continues. Brother Terragram relaxed visibly and set the extinguished candle down on a side table. He leaned forward in his chair and began to speak. Sister Aranus is indisposed, and so it falls to me to charge you with this holy mission. You already know of the holy symbol found in the basement of the church, and you have our thanks for your help in retrieving it. Here, Brother Terragrim turned to Catsbane and Shawnee and favored them with a slight bow of appreciation. The High Priestess has spent these past two weeks in study, and she has decided in her wisdom and through the guidance of the Great Sadal that there is a task that needs to be completed post-haste. He stroked his gray beard and appeared to consider his words. Hmm. There is a holy relic kept in the temple of Sadal in Mirpool. Perhaps you have visited this temple. Yellowfly nodded. He had been inside several times to celebrate certain holidays and special events in the past. He hadn't been inside for years, but he, along with Catsbane and Shawnee, had looked upon the building just under three months ago. Have you heard of the Silverthorn? Elward, the paladin, supplied Yellowfly, showing that he knew the legend. Uh, just so, said Brother Terragrim. He takes the name Silverthorn from the sword he carried. It is buried with him in the crypt below the temple. There was a pause. And you wish us to... Sister Aranus wishes, for various reasons, that the relic be transported from there to here. She feels it is best to have the relic close at hand for, well, certain reasons. Uh, anyway... Well, I'm not sure you're aware, but the city gates have been closed, said Yellowfly, rubbing his chin. I fear we'll not get far on your mission. That will not be an issue, replied the cleric. One of our representatives will accompany you with a letter from the High Priestess herself. You shall be granted passage. At that moment, the acolyte returned with a tray of steaming mugs. The fragrance of cinnamon coming from the mulled wine filled the room. It smelled wonderful. Ah, here is novice Bazu with our drinks. Bazu is the representative I spoke of. He will make sure you have smooth passage in and out of both the city and the church in Mirpu, and he will handle the relic. You might as well stay, Bazu, and meet your new companions. With respect, why not send your man alone? What's the need for our participation? asked Shawnee. You four will guarantee Bazu's safety. You'll need him, as he knows how to circumvent the various hazards you'll face. Likewise, he will need you if there should be any difficult situations on the way there and back. Difficult situations? echoed Shawnee. Brother Terragrim appeared not to hear her, for he carried on without acknowledging the comment. 
And most importantly, you will protect the relic. At all costs, you understand. All. The relic must not be lost. After Yellowfly agreed to take on the job, the elderly cleric asked if there was anything else they wished to discuss, so the other man told him about the warlock, Sorotioth. As he had with his companions earlier, he explained that attempts to learn more about the wizard through his organization had turned up nothing. No one had ever heard of Suro the Mad. Of course, Yellowfly did not mention the name Lord Rabbit to Brother Terragrim. Beyond this item, Yellowfly indicated that they would need some basic supplies and some food, dictating a list that novice Bazu transcribed on a piece of parchment. Shawnee added a quiver and arrows to the list, and Yellowfly mentioned that their own weapons and armor were currently stored at a dead drop in the High Market District. When an opportunity presented itself, he would go off alone and collect their things. When their conversation was concluded, Bazu gathered the empty cups and, with his written list in his pocket, took his leave. Novice Bazu is an NPC that I expect will be with the companions for a while. I even have hopes that he might be able to join the party in the future, but I know, I shouldn't even think such things. Life is fragile in BXD and D, right? In any case, I think it's worth rolling him up. Since I need a specific class, a cleric in this case, I'll roll 3d6 down the line, re-roll fives and below, and then, if necessary, I'll put his best score into wisdom. Here we go. Strength. 11. Intelligence. Yoinks, I rolled a three. I don't think I've ever actually done that before. Luckily, it's a re-roll. 11 is better. Wisdom. 11 again. Okay. Dexterity. A 13. Constitution. Just a 7. Charisma. 14. Well, alright then. I'm swapping Wisdom and Charisma. Final stats then are... Strength 11, Intelligence 11, Wisdom 14, plus 1 to saves versus spells. Dexterity 13, plus 1 to AC and missile weapons. Constitution 7, minus 1 to hit points. And Charisma 11. Bazu will be starting life in the game as a third level cleric. He gets 3d6 hit points, minus 1 per die for his constitution, and min out at half. Okay, with min outs applied, I have a 3, a 3, and a 5. 11 hit points. He's no warrior, this one. I suppose that's precisely why Terragrim needs Yellowfly and his team. Finally, as a third level cleric, Bazu will get two first level spells. It's not much, but in BX, clerics don't get their first spell until they earn it at level two. Alright, I think that's enough to go on. Let's get back to the story. Chapter 37 Part 2 Day 115 Late Afternoon Party Status the party's status is unchanged. Aylward slew Vincis in the year 360. He was the most pious of all the Camatine kings, you know. Even more so than Saega. You see, King Saega required a personal tragedy to befall him before he found his faith. Whereas Aylward was devoted to Sadal throughout his whole life. Some say there is piety and value and change and revelation, but not I. Elwood deserves to be remembered as the greatest king. At least, that's what I believe, for his purity was absolute. Navas Bazu had been talking like this, almost without interruption, since they passed through the city's main gates. That had been hours ago, and despite Shawnee and Yellowfly's numerous attempts to change the topic, the young cleric would not stop discussing history. He seemed totally oblivious to the other's indifference. Catsbane, conversely, had been silent for hours, 
But this was not due to Bazu's pedantic lecturing. At one point along the road, as they headed east towards Mirpool, Shauna had asked him if he was not feeling well, and it had taken asking twice just to get the distracted grunt he offered by way of reply. In truth, Catsbane had been preoccupied ever since Brother Terragrim had said the prayer to Sadal with the beeswax candle. As the words of the prayer were uttered, he had felt the divine gaze upon him. It had seared through every layer of thought, every defense. Sadal knew his secret. He wondered if the others had felt anything at all. He expected they had not, but the experience had left him shaken, extremely distracted. To the others, he simply appeared sullen and in poor spirits. The oblivious and gregarious Bazu was just about to launch into a new lecture. The others could tell by the way he raised an index finger in the air and drew in a breath. Shane intercepted. You know that Catsbane and I both lived in the Church of the Sacred Flame. We never saw you, though. How is that possible? Oh, said Bazu, successfully disrupted. Um, yes, I believe Brother Terragrim did mention as much. And, of course, I thank you for your service to the Church. Anyway... I am just recently back in Camertine, you see. Where were you before? Shane pressed. Camerath. In fact, I only just got back from Somoro last week. Quite a lot in the city has changed, and for the worse it would appear. Our King Culfrey is a frightful ruler, is he not? Even in Camerath they call him Culfrey the Terrible. But, you know... The index finger was in the air again. He isn't really so terrible as they say. Compare him to Vincis whose prison was so full that some histories claim he built a second dungeon below the original, just to accommodate his lust for suffering. No, no, Calfrey is a man of poor faith, and he has a small heart, to be sure. But he is not so terrible, really. I suppose that people must have a title for their kings. Why, take the regent, Thurry. Do you know what they used to call him? <laughs> they called him. What were you doing in Camrath? said Shane, covering her interruption with as contrite a smile as she could summon. I, uh, I was on a pilgrimage, replied the acolyte. A pilgrimage? In Kamranth? Yes, to the site of the Starfall. You are aware of the story of the fallen star? Yellowfly came to the rescue. Not much further now. Another hour and we'll be there. He pulled his new cloak tightly about him against the cold wind. Terragrim had spared no expense in providing him with a fine, thick coat with a hood trimmed in fox fur. Indeed, said Bazu. Have you seen the statue of Aylward in the main square? It is simply marvelous, a masterwork in white stone. It's been some time since I've seen it. Over the final hour of their journey, following the frozen coast, the talkative priest wittered on about his time in Mirpool, studying at the church that was their destination. They arrived just as the sun was setting. The first thing they saw was the statue Bazu had been praising earlier. It was 15 feet tall, made of white stone and showed Aylward the paladin standing stiffly upright while dressed in full field plate armor. His sword, the Silverthorn, was resting point down between his feet, and both of the knight's gauntleted hands were folded over the pommel. The face was obscured by a visored great helm. Jace's mouth fell open slightly as he beheld the figure for the first time. Behind it was the church, a circular building with a domed roof. It was a beautiful piece of architecture, if not so large as its counterpart in Silmoral. The companions planned to spend the night at the Turning Bowl and visit the church in the morning before heading back to Solmoral. They were all hungry and footsore, but all the same they took their time as they made their way through the town square. The low slanted rays of the sun and the falling snow made the church and sculpture a true spectacle.
There were only a handful of townsfolk abroad. It was getting late, and it was cold. In front of the church gates, a short and paunchy man of middle age was packing up his little cart, where he sold curios, scrolls, and prayer beads. His cloak was of coarse homespun, and he wore the hood down, exposing his bald head to the elements. As the companions passed by his cart, he stopped what he was doing and gave them a smile, making the holy sign of Sadal with his right hand. Thanks very much for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and wish to support the show, there are four ways you can help. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up one of my offerings on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Your reviews, by the way, make a really big difference to the success of the show, and I appreciate each one. I'd like to read one of them right now. This one's from iTunes and was posted by Septimo Reos. Septimo Reos writes, I honestly think this podcast is pretty amazing. Just recently found it, and I'm already caught up to the newest episode, so you can tell how much I've enjoyed listening to this. Thanks so much, Septimo Reos. I'm so glad you discovered the pod and that you're enjoying it. If you keep listening, I'll keep making. The fantasy engine is still in full production mode. Thanks are also due to my wonderful voice talent. In the role of Jace is Kevin Berenger. Kevin is an actor, writer, artist, storyteller, and game designer at TumbleDye Games. Find him online at kbearcreation.com. Playing Brother Terragrim and returning to the show to voice his second character, it's Coop, the GM of the show Echoes of Eshetan. Echoes of Eshetan is a podcast that isn't afraid to kill its darlings. Find out whether characters will survive in these post-apocalyptic stories every Friday on Spotify or Podcatcher near you. Finally, as novice Bazu, I'd like to welcome back to the show Andrew Fling, who is another member of the wonderful team over at TumbleDye Games. Thanks very much, Kevin, Coop, and Andrew. For those of you who use socials, please follow me on Twitter at Manticore Tale, or if you prefer Instagram, I'm at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I also keep a blog at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com, where I post show notes, art, character sheets, maps, and other stuff. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Greetings, podcast listeners. Ty here from Adventure Slang Productions. We wanted to take this opportunity to invite you into the world of New of Arden, our upcoming non-medieval fantasy tabletop RPG. New of Arden features our robust Fortunes D4 system for a rules-moderate structure that supports fluid gameplay and narrative flow. Choose from one of 15 character options and become explorers of a vast world 100 years after the great paradigm shift known as the Emergence. Discover lost ruins, unusual life forms, and the power of unlimited manifestation. New of Arden offers a fresh TTRPG experience where player agency and the power of innovation rule. Visit our Game Found page now and discover New of Arden for yourself. That's N-U-O-V-A-R-D-E-N. New of Arden. Exploration in the time since the emergence.